How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are back at it again, working our way through the book of 1 Peter. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to try to finish up chapter 2 today. Really taking our time through this one. This is a four-parter. <laughs> all right so as we're going through this we're taking a look at the life of the saint the uh priesthood of the saints uh, what it means when the bible talks about us being the temple of of god being priests of the lord the servants of christ and what this means and how this all comes together so there's so much information in going down through this i hope that this has been a help and encouragement to you um and it the these studies do encourage you if they are help to you please show your support by liking these videos and subscribing so you know we put up a, a new uh bible study but for now uh please grab your bibles and turn to first peter chapter 2 we're down to verse 17 is where we left off all right so first peter chapter 2 verse 17 and again uh, we're going to be using the three points of the christian faith the three points of bible study which are interpretation application and demonstration interpretation is the what the what of the narrative what it's specifically saying the narrative of the text an idea of just the basic narration what's going on but then we back up go again through it slowly taking a look at how the specific meanings and the details and all this other stuff and placing ourselves there so to speak and really soaking it in taking a look at the how uh, the the meanings of the words how it's being said the specific words and images and also how can i pair what i'm reading with other aspects of the word of god learning to cross-reference line upon line precept upon precept scripture with scripture rightly dividing the word of truth and understanding that uh, there is a a massive difference there's a massive difference between interpretation and application interpretation there is only one interpretation of the word of god what it says is what it means but there's multiple applications but application is not interpretation application is just application one of the means by which we can talk about it so we see it can be applied mentally physically spiritually circumstantially it could be applied to multiple uh, aspects multiple uh, situations and circumstances but again what it says is what it means all right so we got the what and the how and why should i do it like this why is this important why should i go live it speak it think it do it so we see personal demonstration so interpretation application demonstration all right so with that and uh we got all our coffee or tea and our snacks come join us at the table grab your bibles notepads and pens and turn to first peter chapter 2 verse 17 time to study the word of god okay all right so <clears throat> as we see uh, talking about the temp the temple of god and how we're a royal priesthood and we see a royal priesthood in verse 9 first peter chapter 2 verse 9 and then we go down and seeing in verse 12 about our conversation honest uh, watching our words our speech always salted with grace they may know how you ought to answer every man and we see uh, the way that we present ourselves in our conversation in in our 
uh, explanation of the faith. You you say you love God, you say you love the Word, and how can we demonstrate this? What are applications of this? So we see in verse 13, submit yourself to every ordinance of men. We took a look at this and uh, what this biblically means in that uh, we cannot compromise the Word of God to uh, satiate the minds and the desires uh, of the world. So we see if it goes against the word of God, then it's wrong, regardless what it is or who it is or whatever's going on, whatever they say, the Lord's word comes first. So this is all so important for us to understand and taking the faith seriously in that compromising the word of God is nothing but treason against the faith. You say you love the Lord, but in works dishonor him. And one of the works that will dishonor him is by compromising the word of God, compromising conviction of the faith, compromising the doctrines, and so on. What it says is what it means. And if someone doesn't like that, well, they have a problem with the Lord. And we are not to compromise the faith just to make them feel more comfortable. You know what I mean. All right. So with that... Let's get down to this. Um, let's just start at verse 13. Let's just read into verse 17. So starting at verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of men for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God. We hear an awful lot about the will of God. What is the will of God? How can we know the will of God? Well, what shall we do that might work the works of God? This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. John 6. And then we see in John 6, 39 and 40. And this is the Father's will that has sent me, that all that see the Son would believe on him. And the will of the Lord is that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you believe on him, and that you follow his word. What is the first and greatest commandment with promise? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, to love thy neighbor as thyself. Let's take that and move into this. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing, according to God's standard, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty as uh, for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. And we talked about that in detail all right so not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness now let's look at this in verse 17 honor all men well what if what if they they did this to me or what if they did this what if they said this okay you see god's standard we see how people treated the lord how did he respond so you see, we are priests, now again, taking the same narrative that, we, that we've been going down through in 1 Peter chapter 2, as we are the temple of God, we are the priests of God, we are the servants of the Lord, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. All right, so we are to be Christ-like, like Christ, Okay. And understanding in this way, we see not only just in treatment, but also mentally how we view, see, understand other people. Even if we don't get along with them, even if we don't like them, no matter what they've done to us. We see honor all men. Now, why? All are made in the image of God, whether you like them or not. <laughs> that Jesus Christ 
died on the cross for them too, whether you like them or not, whether you agree with them or not. Even if they vote differently than you, Jesus Christ still wants them to be saved too. He wants them to be saved and, and to be washed, clean, redeemed, changed, made new, just like you were. So we see in how a, how we treat other people is to be in the same vein, the same light that Jesus Christ did, does, through us. As I live, you're not I, but Christ lives through me. So how can Christ live through me if I'm not promoting Christ's likeness? Give that some thought. How can Christ work through me, live through me, if I'm not promoting Christ's likeness? I say I love the Lord. Words are cheap. Words are cheap. So honor all men, even if you don't like them. Let's move on. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. And that is the brotherhood of faith. That's the brotherhood of faith. All the born-again Christians, regardless who or what they are, where they came from, what they've done, what they look like, and all the rest of it. As they are born again, saved, washed clean, changed, made new by the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're your brothers and sisters in Christ, whether you like them or not. And that we are told to look at each other through the lens of spirit. As we think in spirit, pray in spirit, preach in spirit, walk in spirit. We're supposed to live in spirit, not in flesh. That the spirit of Christ is what runs us, not what I think, I feel, I believe, or my feelings or emotions or whatnot. Love the brotherhood. Honor all men. Treat everybody the way that God treats them. To see them as the way God sees them. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Okay, here's an interesting one. Fear God. Now, again, we've discussed this. Let's just go over this again. What does it mean to fear God? What's the fear of the Lord? Can anyone tell me from the comments? What is the fear of the Lord? According to the word of God, what is the fear of the Lord? What does it teach? An extra points if you can remember it the way that uh, I described it. Just so you can remind me, because I struggle to remember. <laughs> what does it mean to fear the Lord? What does it mean to fear the Lord? What is fear of the Lord? Is it a, a terror? I'm scared of God? Uh, uh, Scarlet Snow says, showing respect and honor. Holy, reverential worship and respect. Yep, respect and honor. Honoring the Lord, respecting the Lord. But we see that it even goes a bit much deeper than that is holy reverential worship and respect. We see understanding that he is our father. He's our God, our savior, our Lord. And in this, we, we need to keep in mind the biblical view of this, not my interpretation of how I see God, but what the word of God says about him. My thoughts on the matter are irrelevant. How I feel about it is irrelevant. What does the word of God say about him? How does it describe him? How does it show him in all his majesty and glory? Who is he? 
and all aspects of grace and judgment and, and the wrath against sin and his salvation, his redemption. He's our father, our shepherd. Our, he's the spirit of correction and guidance and all this. Who is he to me? Holy, reverential worship and respect. He's my God. He's my father, my savior, my friend. He's my redeemer. Fear God. And as it says in the word of God, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, I'm just going to say it, and if people don't like it, tough. <laughs> but you could have all of the education in the world. You could be one, one of the most intelligent people. Intelligence is not wisdom. You could be one of the most intelligent people in the world and still be as dumb as a brick. Because if you have no fear of the Lord, if you have no belief in the Lord God, you know nothing. The Bible calls you a fool. The Bible calls you a fool. If you have no fear of the Lord, now not fear of the Lord of your life, your Lord, your God. I'm talking about the God, the Lord of the word of God. The God, the Lord of the word of God. Not my interpretation, not my crafted ideology, not my personal uh, adherent doctrines and whatnot, but what the word of God flat out says about him. If you have no fear, love, and respect, and worship for the God of the word of God, the Bible, the scriptures, the holy writ, then, then you know nothing. You've crafted a God of your own imagination, and the Bible calls you a fool. You know nothing. But you are not... You are not uh, wise and intelligent according to God if you have no belief in the Lord God Jesus Christ according to Scripture. That's what the Bible says. If you don't like that, mm, tough. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God. Now, when we actually take verse 17 and we pour over it all of the biblical precedences, what does it mean biblically? Not denominationally, not traditionally, not ideologically, biblically. What does it mean to honor all men? To show respect, to show grace, to show love, to show, to show uh, the same level of treatment that Jesus Christ, our Lord God, showed them when he walked the earth. To honor all men the way that the Lord does. Love the brotherhood the way that the word of God tells us to from the mind and mouth of God. To fear the Lord God as the word of God tells us to. So really take verse 17. And if you're into underlining, highlighting, and marking your Bible, I, I would recommend do so with verse 17 of 1 Peter 2, 17. Underline it, highlight it. And then if you can, if you have the margin, and if, if you can, right, right beside verse 17, write the word biblically. Because a lot of people take these kinds of verses, take these kinds of things, and interpret them according to societal, modern societal standard. Like you may have seen the, the funny little video I put up the other day there. It says, you know, as much as life within you, live peaceably with all men. And then modern Christians, it shows, you know, the eagle that being all stubborn says no. That, that a lot of modern Christians are like that. And then I know putting up that video angered an awful lot of people. <laughs> angered an awful lot of people on YouTube, Instagram, everywhere but that I shared it. A lot of people got upset over that. Oh my goodness. Um, but it just goes to show that it's just, that's just what it is. People don't like being called out. That's just the thing. 
And they like to say they love God. They like to like to say that they're they're loving children of God and that they're faithful servants while they keep worldly inclinations of treatment of others. That uh, uh, damning another person because well you don't vote the same as I do you because because you don't dress the same as I do you don't look the same as I do you don't practice the same way as I do, even though they believe in the exact identical same gospel of salvation that you do. That but because they're not like me they're my enemy and I'm going to treat them that way I'm going to look down at them. That's not what Jesus did. So we see honor all men to re to respect other people as they are made in the image of God, just like you you are, regardless, regardless of the differences. You do understand we're not animals, right? And you're not just some other evolution of a different monkey than me. You understand evolution is just a bunch of nonsense. That all humans are made in the image of God. And are, they're given a living soul, and, and the Lord God loves them like he loves you, and he made a way of salvation for them like he did for you. You understand that, right? And so we need to get away from this animalistic, evolutionary idea of us versus them. We need to get away from that. Understanding who we are in the eyes of God, in the eyes of my Lord Jesus Christ. Honor all men. As Jesus Christ calls us to honor, to respect, to respect them enough that we would desire to see them saved. No, oh, there is one way to put it. There's one way to put it. Think about that one. Do you honestly respect other people enough to tell them how to be saved? Even if you don't like them. Let's just think about that one just for a moment. Verse 17. Honor all men. Now what does that mean from a biblical standard? What does that mean from a biblical standard? Love the brotherhood. Not just the brotherhood of your clan that's the way some people interpret that they that they'll that they truly love the christians the fe, the fe, fellow brethren of their clan and i say clan it in replace in a replacement of denomination because that's honestly just what it is it's a bunch of clanism it's clanism clickism and, and it's unbiblical uh, I, I am opposed to denominationalism. I'm opposed to it because it causes schisms. It causes schisms and it causes that mentality of us versus them. Well, they're not of the same clan as I am. Wait a minute. Are you not a born again Christian bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, washed clean by the, by the Holy Spirit of the living God, by grace through faith, by belief alone, like I am? Well, then we're fellow Christians. Your colors, your stripes are irrelevant. Your clique is irrelevant. Your clan is irrelevant. Your denomination is irrelevant. Completely, utterly irrelevant. 
If you believe in the Lord God Jesus Christ by grace through faith through belief alone as the word of God teaches for salvation from your sin, you are born again, saved regardless of your differences. That's what the word of God says. And if people don't like that, tough. Because that's what the word of God says. Love the brotherhood. And that's the brotherhood of born again Christians. That's not brotherhood of insert denomination here. We really, really need to understand this one. we got to learn to read the Word of God through the lens of the Word of God is the final absolute authority in all aspects of faith and practice of faith. What it says is law. What it says is law. Because if you don't look at it that way, if you don't believe it that way, you do not fear God. You fear your ideology. You fear your insert denominational catechism commentary here you don't fear the lord the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom understanding that what the word of god says is law and absolute whether i like it or not whether i like them or not whether i agree with it or not this is what it is you cannot say you fear god if you do not approach scripture through the lens that it's the final law. It's the final authority. If you do not approach things in a Christ-like sense. Because there are people who are at such odds with other people for all kinds of whatever reasons. That they damn them outright. Wish them to the fires of hell. Wish the judgment of God upon them. Look down on them and hate them. Mistreat them. Think less of them because of insert reason here were you not the absolute utter enemy of god at one point deserving the wrath of god the judgment of hell were you not a child of the devil a joint heir of damnation at one point what makes you better than others what makes you think that the favor of god is more upon you than them what makes you think that God loves you more than them? It's not an us versus them. It's not an us versus them. We need to get away from that mentality. The us versus them. If you have in your mind an us versus them, then you do not understand the fear of God. You do not understand the mission of Jesus Christ. You do not understand the gospel of salvation. You do not understand the word of God. It's not an us versus them. It's God versus sin and all that is for us is to worship God and preach the gospel. We are not the opponents of other people. We are not against other people. We are not against their souls. We're saved. We're sinners saved by grace. They're under the wrath of God and that they need to be born again saved. And if I have in me any form of opposition to them, I'm not a loving servant of Christ. You cannot have in you an us versus them mentality, attitude, or feeling and think yourself a loving servant of God. Please understand that. That is the height of pride and arrogance and the root of all evil. 
and us versus them. That will hinder your evangelism, hinder your ministry, that'll hinder your preaching, that'll hinder your faith, that'll hinder all forms of things of Christ-likeness. You need to repent of that and get yourself right with the Lord. If that's the case in you. Honor all men, even if you don't like them. You do understand as well that when it comes to, especially the brethren, born-again Christians. I know I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. You, please answer this. Do you understand and believe and agree with? you? Do you see this? Do you understand this? That God is able to use people that we don't agree with. Do you agree with that? God is able to use people that I don't agree with. Can you accept that? Can you accept that? That is one of the hardest pills to swallow. God is able to use people I don't agree with. Honor all men, biblically. Love the brotherhood, biblically. Fear God, biblically. Now, what does it mean to fear God? What does it mean to fear God, to walk in the fear of the Lord? Well, understanding what the fear of the Lord is, as we discussed it, holy reverential worship and respect. Holy reverential worship and respect. Okay, now take that. Holy. According to God's standard, what is holiness? Well, holiness is the way God is. Simply, holiness is the way God is. Uh, he is holy. He is holy incarnate. He is all that which is purity and righteousness and perfect in, in an infinite sense. In him is no sin. He did no sin. He knew no sin. In, in him is no shadow of turning. God cannot lie. God is not like us in any way, shape, or form. And that God is infinite, infinitely holy and righteous and true. This is who God is. God is holiness. Okay, so holy, holiness, according to God's standard, holy, reverential. Now, if you're following our videos, you may have heard uh, Pastor Paul talk about it on Sunday. And he's 100% right to the max on this, that it is absolute just sin. When you, when you have certain individuals who tout themselves pastors, preachers, priests, whatever, and calling themselves, taking upon themselves the moniker of reverend. You understand that that is blasphemy, in a sense? Because only God is reverend. Only God is revered. Only God is deserving of all worship and veneration and deserving all reverence. You understand that. And if anyone listening in is a pastor, preacher, whatever, and you have R-E-V at the beginning of your name, if you refer to yourself as reverend, get that off of your name immediately. That is a title that only belongs to God. We're servants of the Lord. We are not reverent. We are not to be revered. We are not reverend. Fear God alone. We don't fear man. We don't fear any other person. We don't even fear the devil. We don't fear hell. And we don't even fear him which can kill the body. We fear the Lord. 
Only God is reverend. Only God is holy. It, it disgusts me when I hear people refer to, uh, to the priests and the Pope and whatnot as Holy Father. That is such blasphemy and sacrilege. Uh, taking titles and names and descriptions of God and giving it to, to man? Unbelievable. As you see, as call no man father, one is your father, even God. Now, this is father, a, a spiritual father. I heard people say, well, so-and-so is my spiritual father. Blasphemy. That's blasphemy. Only God is our spiritual father. God is our spiritual father. He's our master. He's our Lord. He is reverend. He is God and there is none else. What does it mean biblically? Now, insert biblically. According to the word of God and the word of God alone is your final absolute authority. What does it mean biblically to fear God? To walk in a penitent heart. That's a heart uh, broken to, to, towards sin and deserving to be taught, corrected, reproved, rebuked, exhorted by the spirit of God in all aspects, in all ways, in all circumstances. Deser uh, desiring to be taught. Understanding who and what we are in relation to him, and that he's our God, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Teacher, our Instructor, our Help, our Comfort, and everything else. To fear the Lord. To walk in the fear of the Lord. To walk in the holiness, the worship, the reverence of Almighty God in, all, in, the, in the all respect that he is due. That's what it means. Now really take that. Really think about that. Now, just in thinking this, what I would like you to do, just as a, a little bit of a mental exercise, is to take that, what I, what I just said about walking in the fear of the Lord. Does your life, does your private life, your personal life, reflect that? Does your personal life reflect that? Now bear with me. And then please understand that in absolute no way, shape, or form am I touting that I am better than you or that I am flawless in this and that I am guiltless in this. Absolutely not. I am just as guilty as everyone else. I struggle just as much as everyone else. I'm a sinner saved by grace like everyone else. I am not holier than anyone else. Please understand that. Please understand that in all my teaching and all my preaching and other stuff, I am in no way uh, boasting myself or thinking myself better. I absolutely 100% don't. And that my life can definitely do better. You see, understanding in the, the fear of the Lord in a biblical sense, this is something, as the Word of God talks about, that we are to strive for. To strive for. For the mastery of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is the high calling? The priesthood order. Priesthood order. That's the high calling. The, the calling of to do the works of Christ. To preach the gospel. To show the love of Christ. To show what? Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. To love your neighbor as yourself. The works of Christ is to show Jesus Christ. To show Jesus Christ through my life, by my life, in all, in all ways possible. 
that even if I think it's impossible, he does the possible. Because it's impossible to me, but it's possible with God. It's possible with God. So honor all men, biblically. Love the brotherhood, biblically. Fear God, biblically. You hear me say whenever asked questions or whenever we're talking about a topic, you always hear me say, well, what does the Bible say? What does the word of God say? That's because we are flawed. We're flawed, corrupted, that uh, we make mistakes all the time. I like how, as like Martin Luther said at the, at the, at the Diet of Worms, uh, when he was hauled up before the, the, the council, the, Ro the Roman Catholic council and stuff, and they were going to, threatening to burn him at the stake uh, for heresy and all that. As he talks about, as, 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 as popes and priests have so often contradicted themselves, that our councils, our creeds, our catechisms, our thinking, our reasoning, our logic has often, on regular basis, contradicted itself. That we're flawed and we cannot, we cannot trust ourselves. We cannot trust our traditions. We cannot trust our ability to maintain ritual. We cannot trust our logic and our reason. We cannot trust ourselves. If you think you can trust yourself, <laughs> you've lied yourself uh, to yourself so much you've deluded yourself into thinking you can trust yourself. You're absolutely deceived if you think you can trust yourself. We can only trust God's word. Because he says he preserves his word to all generations and we can test it. We prove it. That when we compare scripture to scripture and we examine the findings and we, we put it to the test, we see that it is true. And that the word of God transcends all of our logic and reasoning. We find ourselves constantly bowing to the feet of Jesus Christ and saying, Lord, I was wrong. Please help me to understand. Again and again and again, we find ourselves being corrected by the word of God. We find ourselves being corrected by God's logic, God's reason, God's truth, God's ways, God's light, because we have none of our own. In us is no goodness, no righteousness of our own. We, we cannot be holy. If you think you can make yourself holy by maintaining ritual and tradition, you have deceived yourself so flawlessly, so perfectly. You've deceived yourself. You think that you're holy because you wear mystical garments and, and you go through fancy mystic motions? That's not what makes you holy. That makes you a, a, uh, that makes you just a circus religion. Jesus Christ is the only holiness. He's the only righteousness. In him is the only truth. And if you think that the word of God can be ignored, or that the word of God alone has authority is wrong you've been taken by the lie of the devil yea hath god truly said we must come to the lord must come to god's word understanding that it is the absolute truth in all things and that how how we are to live in this world is according to as god has laid it out god's standard honor all men now th think of a situation doesn't matter what it is doesn't matter what it is. There's no exceptions. Well, honor all men until, uh, uh, with exception of, you know, if they say or do or, or if they're like this or if they have or what sin or not. There's no exceptions. You understand there's no exceptions. When it comes to 
the word of God, according to the ways of God, according to the person of the Lord God, his mind, his words, his ways, there's no exceptions. What he says is law, eternal law. So think of a circumstance. Think of a situation. What is it? How can I demonstrate Christ likeness in that? Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. How can I show the true fear of the Lord in a Christ like biblical sense? Completely and utterly ignore denominational differences, denominational distinctives, men's traditions, and all the rest of it. Ignore all of that. Throw all of that out the window. How would Jesus Christ, Almighty God, respond to that situation? That's how we are supposed to respond to the situation. You understand that? Now you think, well, 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 this is kind of a a duh moment well of course that's how it is you, you say that you may be thinking that but it needs to be said because when we look at christianity today or what is called christianity today much of it is completely woefully vacant of this much of it you don't believe me? Look at look at the sheer multitudes of people who profess to be Christians and look at the way that they're treating their fellow man. Look at the way that 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 uh, that church versus church goes on. Us versus them. Us versus them. You say you love God. Now what does it mean but in works dishonor him? That my works, my treatment, my words, my ways, my talking about, we're all guilty. We're all guilty. There's nobody that is innocent of this. And that's just the point. That is the point why this is written down. Because we're all guilty of this. And this is how we learn. By accepting this fact that we're all guilty. And we come to the word of God and it tells us how we better ourselves. It shows us, it tells us, explains to us in, in step, in detail, so simply for us to learn and grow. That the word of God, God's word, rebukes us. And if you cannot accept rebuke, you do not fear God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So take this, and we examine it in a biblical sense. And we accept God's rebuke. We see how we're guilty. And what do we do with this? We take our guilt, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We go before God, and if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful and just even when we are not. 
and say, Lord, we read these things with an open heart, open mind, just torn open before God, and, and we read the word of God, and we see where we have fall, fallen, how we've gone astray on point after point after point, and we say, Lord, you're right, you're right, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I said this, I did this, I behaved like this, I promoted this, and Lord, I, I, I was wrong, please forgive me. Help me to, to, to know how I should act in this, how I should behave, how I should talk. Lord, please forgive me. Rebuke, reprove, exhort. He rebukes us, he teaches us, he encourages us. Honor all men, even if you don't like them. You need to repent of those thoughts. Those thoughts of us versus them. It doesn't matter who or what they are. Are they not able to be born again saved? Well, you don't know what they've done. Are they not able to be born again saved? Did Jesus Christ atone for them too? Is the blood of Jesus Christ able to wash away all sin except theirs? The us versus them is of the devil. Us versus them is of the devil. Because the us versus them mentality restricts evangelism, restricts the gospel, restricts grace, it restricts the hand of God, it restricts the love of God, and it, and it inserts situations and circumstances and, and, uh, and options where they are not able to see the grace of God. Us Versus them is of the devil. Our job is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and the salvation of souls to all men, to all people, regardless who they are, regardless what they've done, regardless how evil or wicked they are. If Saul of Tarsus could get saved, if Nebuchadnezzar could get saved, if you could have gotten saved, they can too, regardless who or what they are, no matter what they've done. No sin is greater in the blood of Jesus Christ. Nobody is beyond the grace of God. If you have in your life an us versus them mentality, you need to repent of that immediately. You need to fall before the Lord and get that dealt with because you do not understand the fear of God. Just saying. And us versus them causes you to curse them instead of bless them, as it says to bless those that curse you. To love those that hate you. To pray for them that despitefully use you. Christ likeness is the complete vacancy of us versus them. Do you not understand that? But so much all across social media, and I hear in so many people as well, and so often, and I know we're all guilty of this, and I'm preaching this to myself as much as to everyone else. Please understand that I'm just as guilty as everyone else. And this is something that the Lord has truly, truly been convicting me about. And this is why I'm preaching so much about it, because it bothers me so much that I fall into this all the time. Because it, it's so easy. The devil makes it so easy. The flesh makes it so easy to fall into this again and again and again and again and again. We're all guilty of this, the us versus them. The only, the only 
so-and-so versus so-and-so is God versus the devil. We're, we're, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. How? That's grace and mercy and salvation in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not my hands, my my personal carnal weapons. It's not my logic, my reasoning, my strength, my power to rip asunder. It's not about that. God doesn't wage salvation through politics and through political parties or through ideologies or through societal movements. That salvation is only through the name of Jesus Christ, by the cross of Christ, by the blood of Christ, by the spirit of Christ, by the mercy of Christ. The moment that I have in myself an us versus them mentality, ideology, or feeling, I do not understand. I've abandoned Christ-likeness. I've abandoned the fear of God. The fear of God isn't saying how I love God and then socking so-and-so in the nose or railing up and down them and tearing the third layer off them or doing whatever against them because, well, they aren't like me. That that's, that's, just means you're corrupted religious. You're corrupted religious, not a God-fearing, born-again Christian. What does it mean to be a God-fearing, born-again Christian? That's not flying the, the flag of my country and touting the constitutions of men and, and run, running wild in political parties. That's not the fear of God. That's the fear of men. That's the fear of political ideologies. I know that one will have touched a nerve on a lot of people. It's not conservative versus liberal, Republican versus Democrat. It's God versus sin. And our job is to go to go to the ones that we fleshly may dislike the most and hold out open hands with tears rolling down, begging their soul to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because we want them to be born again saved. Do you love them enough, respect them enough to pour a tear for them, even though fleshly you may dis despise them? If you can't say yes to that, then you don't understand Christ-likeness. You don't understand the fear of God. You don't understand what it means to honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God. You don't understand what it means to be Christ-like. If you can't hold an open hand of the gospel to people that you may even despise, you don't love Jesus Christ. There you go. You say you love him. Words are cheap. Words are cheap. And especially in this time, in this climate, as we are about on, we are on the cusp of World War Three. We are on the cusp of World War three because as the bible says the love of many shall wax cold and you understand that god was talking to us too 
God is talking to the church too. That the love of many shall wax cold. That Christians will become cold to hell. Will become cold to lost souls. Will become cold to evangelism. Will become cold to the cross. They will cold shoulder the unsaved. You understand that? If, if the shoe fits, if you're found guilty in this, just as I am, I think it's time for a revival. I think it's time for a personal revival. We need to get back to the word of God. Take a look at that Jericho road. Are you one of those ones bypassing the poor man? You, you say you would stop and help him out. You say you would provide. But do you do that now? Do you do that now? Or do you just bypass those that you dislike? Do you reach out? Do you try? Do you try as we are called of God? We're not, we're not placed here just to have our own lives and be healthy, wealthy, rich, and powerful and have, have our own fun, all this stuff. That Those are all irrelevant points. Our first and primary focus, as the Bible says, our first love, our first love is Jesus Christ and is all Christ-likeness. That's our first life, uh, first love. That's supposed to be our life. That's supposed to be our focus, our drive. That's supposed to be our understanding. That's what we're supposed to be known for. Not known for your denomination. Known for your religious ideologies. Known for, insert whatever here. But known for being like Jesus Christ to everybody. To the saints to encourage, to pray for, to bless, to exhort, to hold accountable to the word of God, to the unsaved, to call them to the cross, to call them to salvation, to call them to redemption, to call them to revival of their souls. And if that isn't our focus, do we truly, honestly love God? Do we truly, honestly love Jesus Christ? Can we honestly say that? And if you and if you are listening to this and you're kind of shutting your ears to this and you want to acknowledge you're kind of smirking at this or you're thinking you know, uh, loopholes, exceptions, and well, what about this? And what about you? you don't know and all this other kind of thing. You again, you don't fear God. You fear yourself. You fear your own ideologies, you fear your own conspiracy theories, and you hate individuals, you despise certain individuals, you curse and damn certain individuals, you have not the love of Christ in you. You have not the love of God in you. As Jesus said to the Pharisees, you now outwardly, you have the big show, wearing all the phylacteries, going to church, you carry your Bible, you tout yourself a Christian, but you have no love of God in you. We see it. How many times we see it. Uh, the railings and the accusations and the hate and the cold attitudes, the cold hearts, the cold shoulders, the way that the mockings and the scoffings and the ridicules against persons. Now, it's one thing to attack a false ideology. It's another thing to insert people in there as the target, to treat individuals the way you treat that ideology. 
The born-again Christian is supposed to be in opposition to false gospels, false ideologies, not persons. The, that person, no matter how much you don't like them, was made in the image of God and Jesus Christ atoned for their sin too and loves them and wants them to be saved too and has called you to be the advantage to give them the gospel and you won't and you're restricting it because they don't vote like you. Because they don't dress like you. Because they don't practice like you. Because they don't look like you. Or whatever, fill in the blank. That is not Christian. That's of the devil. That's corrupted religion that is vacant. That is void of the fear of God. We're supposed to be a royal priesthood. The priests did not restrict the sacrifice from certain individuals all because they were different. If someone came and wanted to know, they, they would teach and preach and convict and show. They, they would hold up the power of God as the example. The priests that didn't do that were accursed of God and were horribly disciplined. He who defiles the temple, him shall God destroy. We need a bit more preaching of that these days, I think. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. One more point in verse 17 before we continue on. Honor the king. Honor the king. Well, well, you don't know, but you understand this talking about the position of authority. Yeah, we may have interesting colorful individuals in the positions of the quotation marks kingship but all because they're corrupted all because they may be evil all because they've done horrible things all because they may they may be children of belial do you respect them enough to give them the gospel or do you wish them to burn in hell They may have said and done and passed bills and done all kinds of horrible things and blasphemed the faith and, and condoned all kinds of sin and fill in the blank. But didn't you? How evil and wicked were you in the eyes of God before you were born again saved? What makes you better than them? Well, I didn't do... Oh, oh, you mean like the, the Pharisee over the publican? God, I think that I am not like this sinner over here. Are you, you pulling that one, are you? What makes them worse than you in the eyes of God? Do you pray for their lost soul or do you curse them? Do you pray for their lost soul and pray that the Spirit of God would fall on them? Do you pray that a preacher, an evangelist, someone, somehow, somewhere, in some way, would be able to get the gospel to them and that they would be born again, saved, and they could have a Damascus Road experience too? Do you pray for them or do you damn them, curse them, hate them, mock them, scoff them, say all kinds of evil and foul and reviling against them like devils do? Devils rail against authorities. Devils rail against. The saints don't. Do you see the early church doing that? Do you see the apostles doing that? 
They, they called out sin, but preached repentance. They preached righteousness. They preached salvation. If Nebuchadnezzar, crazed, corrupted God emperor of Babylon, who destroyed Israel and threw prophets in the lion's den and fiery furnaces, if he could get born again saved after making a 90-foot giant gold idol of himself and passing laws you could only worship and pray to him, if he could get born again saved, then anyone can. Who do we think we are to pass judgment and damnation upon individuals who are made in the image of God that Jesus Christ wants to be saved and then think that we are loving servants of God? Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. To respect them enough to pray for for their mortal souls. What does it mean biblically? Well, you know, honor the king only if they're God. Only if they're God fearing will I respect them. No, it's not how it works. If you think that's how it works, you don't understand the word of God. You think we're only supposed to respect them? If, they're, if they themselves are God-fearing, honor the king. Who wrote this? This is Peter. Just a question. Just a question. If you could answer it in the comments. Now, according to the timeline, all right, this is Peter, Apostle Peter. Who, who was the, the earthly ruling king? that Peter would be referring to at his time during the Roman occupation who is the authority and the ruling over the land of Israel at the time that Peter could possibly be referring to that some thought honor all men biblically love the brotherhood biblically fear God biblically honor the king biblically because think about it as we're holy priests holy temples of the holy God promoting the holy righteousness of all Christ Jesus likeness. What does it mean in that sense to honor one another, respect one another, love one another? Think about it. How does this work? How does this work in that sense? Honor the king. Verse 18. Let's move on. Now, with that said, with all that said, we see that our calling, our calling is Jesus Christ comes first, it comes first, my feelings last, or not even at all. That's how it's supposed to be. I die. You understand that a person that has died doesn't feel anything anymore, right? 
They don't feel anything. They don't really say anything. They don't really have any aspect of their own involvement anymore, right? They're dead. What does it mean to, to, to die to self that Christ might live through us? That means I and everything that defines me is irrelevant. Think about it. Think about it. So that in every situation, in every circumstance, Christ will be promoted, Christ will be preached, Christ will be shown for the purpose of planting seeds for the gospel of Jesus Christ for his salvation. Because how, think about it, think about it, how can I plant seeds of Christ-likeness and salvation if I'm promoting myself and how I think it should go? And how I should treat others. It doesn't work. Those seeds will die. Those seeds will die. Because you see, the way that seeds grow. And so we have a little, uh, a little grow, uh, uh, in, indoor garden going on. We have a little, little box where we're growing some uh, vegetables and stuff. And, uh, my wife loves doing that and she's attend uh, to them and everything. It's interesting looking at the way that, that how you, how much care has to go into it. And it, it has to have the proper lighting or it'll die. It'll get sick and die. It's got to have the proper food or it's going to get sick and die. It's got to have the proper water in order to get sick and die. If the water goes stagnant, they'll get sick and die. If they dry up, they'll get sick and die. If the food is if the food isn't right and isn't the proper kind of fertilizer, isn't the right kind of food for those plants, they'll get sick and die. If the light is too dim or whatever, it'll get sick and die. Now, it's amazing how sensitive the plants are. But in it, it, it this is this is such a doctrinal point. Because in all things for life to to grow for seeds to germinate and then grow. You see the food of life of God, the water of life of God, and the light of life of God. Not mine. That which comes from me is corrupted and will poison the plant, will cause the, cause the seed to get sick and die. How can I expect to be able to cause the seeds I'm planting to take root, germinate, and grow if I'm getting in the way. Think about it. And it's it, this is irregardless of the circumstances. Well, you just don't understand. No, I'm sorry. I am going to turn that back around saying you don't understand Christ's likeness. If you think that there is an exception to the rule, if you think that there are exceptions to the rule, then you do not understand the fear of the Lord. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Now, in modern lingo, we could literally interpret this as employees employees be sur subject to your employer okay servants be subject to your masters with all fear that's the fear of the lord 
with all respect when we respect them and who they are and the position that they have regardless who or what they are employees be subject to your employers with all fear all respect not only to the good and gentle now look at this just like i've been saying just like i've been saying all down through look at this verse 18 not only to the good and gentle but also to the froward the foolish the corrupted stick that one in your theological pipe and smoke it for a moment we are all guilty every single last one of us and if you say you haven't done this you're a liar <laughs> we've all bad-mouthed complained and bellyached and griped mocked scoffed ridiculed or whatever fill in the blank our bosses we've all done it is that is that respecting them in a biblical sense is that respecting them in a biblical sense? Is that respecting them as a servant of Jesus Christ? No. Is that loving them as disciples of the living God? No. So then if we've done that, we should repent? Yes. And we should fight the flesh at every moment. We should fight the flesh uh, every moment that it, it that when the flesh wants to rail when the flesh wants to rail when the flesh wants to mock and scoff and ridicule when the flesh wants to tear down this is where we need to sub subdue the flesh with all the affections and lust there crucify the flesh and pray for the peace of god and pray for the power of jesus christ Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. That's respect due to them and their position, who they are over us. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Because I'm telling you, when I, when I read this one in verse 18, I know I've read this a million times. But on the million and one time that I, I read this and I actually paid attention to the ending of verse 18 I'm telling you that cut me to the heart that cut me to the quick but also to the forward that's a commandment of God well we love to uh, uphold the commandments of God we really love to uphold the commandments of God and talk about the commandments of God and, and love to think that we obey the commandments of God in all things, but do we really? Because if, if we're not obeying the least of the commandments, which is even to respect others, as God would have his servants respect others, then maybe we've we've completely gone astray from square one. We need to go back and revisit this 
and re-examine our faith, re-examine our, ourselves, re-examine our testimony. But also to the fro word. If you're into underlining, highlighting, or marking your Bible, could you please do so with the ending of verse 18? But also to the fro word, underline that, highlight that, circle that, put a star by that to, uh, for a reminder. But also to the fro word, that we are to respect in, in the explanation of God's standard of respect. God's standard of respect. Some people say, well, my respect is earned. Well, praise the Lord, you're not God. Because we, we see how we are called to be, according to God's standard, respect is given, not earned. Turn that around. Because in the mind of Jesus Christ, in the mind of God Almighty, who do you think you are to say that your respect is earned? Who do you think you are? You're telling, you're telling yourself so high and mighty, arrogant, drunk with pride and self-righteousness, your respect is earned. God's respect is given. God, who is God above all else, his name above all names and his respect is given. He respected you. He saw you. He loved you. And it was all by sheer mercy and grace, the favor of God poured out upon you by grace. And you say your respect is earned. Think about that one. Think about that one. Our societies are so corrupted, so arrogant, so evil, so dark, so godless that it has infiltrated born-again Christianity and corrupted Christianity to the heart as the love of many has waxed cold. But also to the froward, even those that you don't like, even those you don't like, I want you to really think about this one. What does it mean to respect others in the in the context of, of Christ-likeness according to the word of God and respect others according to the word of God's standard? But also to the froward. Verse 19, for this is thank, thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it? If when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. If other people are, are mistreating you and all this and calling you and you're patient about it, that's one thing. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. As as you see, if you're you're only nice to those that are nice to you, what is that? For even the pagans are like that. That means nothing. That means absolutely nothing. But it's being Christ-like and being loving and being respectful to others that are disrespecting you, that are disrespecting you, because we love. To, to rail upon and fight back and punch back and spit back against those that are disrespecting us. We love to show disrespect to those that are disrespecting us. That, that just goes right to the, the heart of the flesh. But God is saying, but, but what I want. God says, but what I want 
is for you to love them and respect them even when they're disrespecting you. That when they spit in your face, you bless them in the name of God. You don't believe me? Let's hear it from God himself. Let's hear it from God himself. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. Because it is, it's really sad. It's a sad day. Sad, sad day when born again Christians have to go back and revisit this principle. Let's look at this in Matthew chapter 5. Let's see what God says in Matthew chapter 5. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came to him. Now understand that the Sermon on the Mount was not preached to the public. Okay, that, that's, your, that's your first mistake. If you think that the Sermon on the Mount was preached to the public. He went up into the mountain and he sat down with his disciples and he taught them the disciples the sermon on the mount is preached to christians is preached to the disciples not to the public this is meant for the saints and he and jesus opened his mouth and taught his disciples saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, those that seek to make peace in all things. Okay. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. The children of God are the peacemakers. Let that one sink in. The children of God, those that, that are seen as, seen as, known as. Okay? Seen as, known as the children of God are the peacemakers. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not this, you know, blessed are you if people hate on you when you're doing good. That's one thing. Verse 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now. Let's just go over to in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, Jesus Christ says, but I say unto you, that you resist not evil. That's a hard one. And to not fight against it. Resist not evil. But whoso shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. It's the principle of this. 
What's the root, the heart of that principle? Turning the other cheek. Meekness. You have power and strength to destroy, to fight back, to resist, and, and all of that kind of thing, but rather you don't. Like Jesus standing before Herod, Jesus before Pontius Pilate, Jesus before the whipping pole. He held his tongue. He didn't fight back. Like the apostles before the Sanhedrin. Like Apostle Paul before his persecutors and his oppressors and all the all the horrible, horrible things that, that they did to him. We have forgotten. We have forgotten our first love. We are the church of Laodicea. The Christianity today is the Laodicean age. We have left off our first love, saying we love God, but we're full of coldness. That the moment someone looks at us sideways, we rail and bellyache and curse and gripe and grumble and spit and kick and hiss in every other way and railing upon the railings. What does it mean biblically, in the biblical doctrinal sense, before God Almighty, what does it mean to turn the other cheek? Why won't we do that? They resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. There's no exceptions here. There's no exceptions here. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Not sue them back. Not sock him in the nose and take your coat back. But to let him have it. Let him have the coat. Let him have the thing. Give him your cloak also. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a born-again Christian according to the standard of Almighty God? Not according to societal standards, not according to church tradition, not according to denominational distinctive, not according to fill-in-the-blank, according to God Almighty and His Word. Not according to what the scholars and the theologians say, what the Bible flat out says in and of itself alone as the authority. What does the word of God say? That you resist not evil. What does that mean? What does that mean? You've heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Now, to everyone listening in, I want you just to take a moment. I want you to take those three words that Lord God Almighty Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, your Redeemer, whom you say that you love, that you say you believe in, that you say you accept his word of. I want you to take Jesus Christ's words from his own mouth of these three words. I want you to think about it just for a moment. Love your enemies. What does that mean to you?
Now, subsequently, I want you to take the next few words. Bless them that curse you. Bless them that curse you. I want you to think on that one for a moment. And subsequently, do good to them that hate you. Do good to them that hate you. And finally, and pray for them, for them, not against them. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Hmm. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now again, I want to ask the question. What does born-again Christian mean to you? Now please understand that I am not accusing. I'm just stating facts here that this is what has happened. What we are seeing a lot of. People claiming to be born-again Christians and in so, in so claiming, they are slandering the kingdom of God. They're slandering the cross. They're slighting the Holy Ghost. They're slighting God Almighty. They're causing the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme because those claiming to be Christians in their behavior and treatment of others are absolutely no different than the pagans. And they are destroying the testimony of the church. They're destroying the work of the Holy Ghost. And they are ruining opportunities of evangelism. And they're shutting up the gates of heaven and making the other people more twofold children of hell. You say you love God, but in works dishonor him. How? We've outlined it. It's one thing to read the word. It's another thing to do it. It's one thing to say you love the Lord. It's another thing to prove it. It's one thing to say you love Jesus Christ. Another thing to show it. It's one thing to, to call upon the Lord as, as a disciple. It's another thing to walk it. Anyone, any dog and his brother can say they love God, love the word of God, love Jesus Christ, call himself a Christian, go to church, carry a Bible, sing all the hymns, and dress and look like a Christian. Anyone can do that. But you shall know them by their fruits. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Verse 1. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts as the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. The love of God, the love of God which goes beyond all understanding. The soul love of God, the self-sacrificing love of God. 
Any man for the friend or for a loved one would give their life, but, but would someone give their life for an enemy? Is what the Word of God teaches in the principle there. But what, but what would you die for your enemy? Would you die for your enemy? Would you die for your enemy? You know exactly where I'm going with this one. The love of God is in our hearts, which controls our outward actions and behaviors. The love of God, the self-sacrificing love of God. Greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. What about those that lay down their lives for their enemies? That's what God did for us. That's the love of God, that, that willing to die for your enemy. And we joke. We joke about the, well, will you... Uh, don't die for your country make your enemy die for his that is such an evil that is so against god that is so against god the us versus them is so far from biblical christianity it's not funny the us versus them mentality is so far removed from christ likeness it's not funny but it, it, it lives and reigns in the pulpits. It reigns in our churches. It reigns through much of modern Christianity. The us versus them. It's the Christians versus the Muslims and the Buddhists and other. It, we are not crusaders. We, we aren't here to wage war against people, to oppose them and hate them and curse them and destroy them. The Son of God has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Are you seeking to save them? Or are you praying for their downfall? As the Word of God says, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth. Rejoice not when your enemy falls. One more time. Rejoice not when your enemy falls, lest the Lord see this and it displease him and he turn against you. What does it mean to be a biblical born-again Christian? What does it mean to have the love of God in our hearts? What does it mean to have the love of God in our hearts? Think about it. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. Ser servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God and to your grief suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Taking it patiently patience according to god's standard of long suffering according to god's standard the fruits of the holy ghost the holy spirit of the living god his fruits live and reign in us love joy peace long suffering gentleness goodness faith meekness temperance according to god's standard how can we call ourselves disciples of the living god if we are not seeking the fruits of the of the living god Rather, we're taking the fruits of God and modifying them to fit our personal standards. 
I dare you to tell me you haven't done that. I dare you to tell me you haven't done that. Because we've all done it. Every last one of us has done that. Taken the fruits of the Spirit of God and modified them to fit our own personal standard. That's not the love of Christ. That's not Christ likeness. That's you likeness. That's me likeness. That's the likeness of the individuals that we have set up that we follow. That's that's that, that's after the likeness of our denominations, of our personal standards, of our ideologies, of our feelings, of our emotions, of our of our own personal ways, of our own personal God that we have crafted. But if we truly are loving servants of the living God, will die to self and take on his standard, not ours. For even hereunto here were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Verse 21. Look at this. Verse 21. Underline verse 21. You were called after Christ's example to follow his steps. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. We're on, uh, seriously, folks, look at this. We're, we are on the verge of World War III. Why? Why? Well, because their politics, because that government, because this crazy person. No. No. That's not why. It's not why. It's not because of political differences. It's not because of, of cultural differences. It's not because of national differences. It's not because any of that. It's because the love of many has waxed cold. When love waxes cold... War breaks it. Because two, two individuals understanding mutual respect can have absolutely polarized views and opinions and not want to go to war with each other. You only go to war when love dies. You only go to war when God dies. You only go to war when the church dies. You only go to war when the saints close their mouths, and saints become unchristlike. When the church's influence dies. When the church's influence dies, war reigns. Violence takes over. Corruption and debauchery and every sin under heaven starts reigning and flowing out when the churches lose their influence. Tell me I'm wrong. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. But rather, we take on the moniker of our own nation, become soldiers of our politics, soldiers of our ideology, soldiers of our constitutions, soldiers of our nations, and we war with other nations, war, earthly, physically, fleshly, war with other people. 
and call ourselves servants of Christ, servants, loving disciples of Jesus Christ. That, that, if that is not the height of all arrogant hypocrisy, I don't know what is. How we can hate on the poor, despise the weak, uh, 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 re refuse a helping hand to the widows, and, and we shut our doors to those in need of help. Oh, because they're they're from somewhere else. They're not of us because they're they're not of us. Oh, wait a minute. Did I just hear us versus them? Did I just hear us versus them? Were they not made in the image of God? Well, it's because of governments and all of them. I, it doesn't matter where they're from, what they are, who they are. They need to hear the gospel. Where's the gospel of Jesus Christ at your borders? Where's the gospel of Jesus Christ in your home? Where's the gospel of Jesus Christ in your politics? Where's the gospel of Jesus Christ in your ideologies? Where's the gospel of Jesus Christ in your feelings? How dare you make exceptions? These earthly nations are corrupted and damned of God anyways because they kick God out of everything. What are you trying to protect? But rather, we get so drunk and obsessed with physical nations, our physical cultures, physical kingdoms, physical well-being, that we restrict and, and shove the gospel to the back burner and we only judge after the outward appearance and think ourselves better than others because we have more money, higher technology, or a better education then, and we stop seeing people as the way that God sees them. Tell Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. And World War III is about to break out because the vast majority of churches and Christians no longer look at people through the lens of the kingdom of God. Because they taught themselves soldiers of earthly kingdoms instead of soldiers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tell me I'm wrong. We're flying our own flags instead of the flag of heaven. We're carrying crosses on our backs like a bunch of Catholic crusaders with our swords cutting down the pagans. And we've gone back to that. That is so far, so far removed from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not funny. And I dare you to tell me I'm wrong. But rarely will you hear this. You'll rarely hear this kind of thing out of pulpits these days. Because people care more about their buildings. More about their physical well-being. More about their earthly treasures. More about what they can gain and store up on earth. Rather than what they can store up in heaven. Tell me I'm wrong. This is why revival tarries. This is why people aren't getting saved. This is why churches are falling apart. This is why Christians are being mocked and scoffed. This is what atheists find unbelievable. This is why the heathen reign over the nations. Because when God is kicked out of the nations, when nations turn against God, they're turned to hell. I dare you to tell me I'm wrong. For hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. What was the example of our Lord God, Jesus Christ? What was his example? But all that we do, all that we get obsessed with, is the fact that Jesus flipped the tables. All we look at is that the fact that he did make a whip, instead of seeing why. But the fact that he did, we take that, twist that, modify that, and corrupt that in such a way it's used it as an example to justify Peter swinging the sword in the Garden of Gethsemane. To, to give me license to hack off the ears of those that I disagree with. 
The fact that Jesus said, sell your cloak, buy a sword, that's all we see. Oh, we, we can take up the sword. Wage war. To the glory of God, I kill my enemies. To the glory of God, I shut my door to the poor. To the glory of God, I mistreat those that disrespect me. To the glory of God, I fill in the blank. That's not Christianity. That's paganism disguised as Christianity. I dare you to tell me I'm wrong. What is the example of the Lord God Almighty Jesus Christ? What's his example? Despising sin, loving the soul. How, how does that work? What does that look like? That's passion of righteousness, yearning and crying for lost souls. That drives you with such a passion, such a fervency, such a seriousness that you would go to such lengths to save a soul from hell. Are we doing that? Oh, we all love evangelism as long as someone else is doing it. What is the example of the Lord God, Jesus Christ? How did he teach his disciples? When his disciples says, Master, should we call down hellfire on them? What did Jesus say? Oh yeah, go for it. Because Elijah did it, right? Because Elijah, Elijah didn't call down fire on, uh, on the people. Upon the altar. The altar he built. The altar of his works. The altar of his life. And inflamed by the power of God. But all we do is we take certain bits and pieces to justify and validate our mistreatment of other people to make ourselves look and feel more mystical and holy over them and us versus them. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. But there will still be people still sputtering and stammering and stumbling over themselves to try to, to grasp the last and final possible validations that they can give themselves for the continuance of mistreatment of the fellow men. Man's inhumanity to men occurs when the love of God waxes cold in the hearts of the saints. Tell me I'm wrong. We start looking down at other people, mistreating people of color, people of language, people of nation, people of, uh, of, uh, of uh, location or whatever else because of who they are, what they are, what they've done, and us versus them, this and that and the other thing. And we, we specify and we put, put on pedestals and we value certain over other people. That is so godless. That is so godless. All people are made in the image of God. Male and female created he them. Regardless of language, regardless of color, regardless of location, regardless of nation, regardless of sin, he died for them. And how dare the churches start preaching in us versus them? How dare? I pronounce a woe. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pronounce a woe upon any church, upon any saint that dares to promote an us versus them. I'm disgusted with it. Disgusted with it. I can't, I can't stand it. I can't stand this. It comes up again and again. It wells up in all of us because that's the flesh. That's the devil. That's the world. That's sin. That's wickedness. That's evil. That, that the enemy is trying to well up for the end to bring about the end. We need to fight against it. We need to repent. We need to repent of any 
form of this us versus them. Rather, we need to pray for them as Christ Jesus would pray for them. We need to pray for them the way that a loving, God-fearing disciple of the living Lord Jesus would pray for them. We need to yearn for them, cry for them. We need to, uh, uh, to lose sleep for them. But do we? What is a born-again Christian in this day and age? What is a God-fearing, Jesus-loving, Scripture-bearing, born-again Christian these days? Where are the holy men and women of God? How would Peter react today? How would Paul react today? I dare say, I dare say that most churches wouldn't allow the disciples to preach in their pulpits because they'd be too hardline, because they'd be too judgmental upon the saints. I'm telling you, the kind of letter that we would get uh, uh, get from Paul, we, the kind of letter we would get from John in Revelation in our churches, I'm telling you, it would make your skin crawl. We are so godless. We are so loveless. We are so Christless. We are so godless. It's not funny. And yet we turn such a blind eye to our weaknesses, such a blind eye to all of this. We make excuses for our sin. We air, condi air condition the the, our own judgment. We weaken and water down so, so we can compromise to maintain our own Phariseeism. We're drunk with our own hobby horses. Well, well, sinners go to hell and we hardly lose sleep over it. And the smoke of their burning souls rises and we couldn't care less. To the point we'd nearly hold a barbecue. We'd hold a church barbecue over the flames of the judgment of sinners. I dare you to tell me I'm wrong on that. But this is where we are. But the, but the question is, how do we fix it? How do we fix it? What can we do? What can be done? What can be done? We need to drink the cup of our own bitterness. Understand who and what we are, what we've done. And we need to repent before the living God and we need to take upon ourselves the calling as it was given of the example of all Christ-likeness as it was intended. And we need to repent ourselves and get busy as born-again Christians. And we need to fight against what we have established. We need to tear down our own monuments. The monuments of our own ideologies, the monuments of our own religiosity, we need to tear it down. With all vengeance of obedience in Jesus Christ, tear down our monuments and establish the old landmarks of the old waste places that the Lord had established at first. The way that the early church was intended. The way that the church was intended or supposed to be. We're supposed to be uh, the priests of God, students of Jesus Christ, disciples of the gospel, first and foremost. Judging not after the appearance, but judging righteously. Not restricting for anything, but forgiving as God has forgiven us, lest God not forgive.
For if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you yours. If my people, which are called by my name, should humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. You want to know why our nations are being destroyed? Why our land is being destroyed? Because we've destroyed Christ-likeness. We've destroyed Christ-likeness. What we call Christ-likeness today is so far from it, it's not funny. I dare you to pick up your Bible and with an open heart and open mind and open eyes and open ears that he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. I dare you to open your Bible and actually read it. And try to justify the behaviors, justify the traditions, justify the actions, justify the doctrines, justify the religiosity that is going on today. Because what is what, the vast majority of what is promoted and touted today is not Christianity, but is paganism dressed up and disguised as Christianity. Because people are longing for an us versus them. But that's the flesh. That's, that's Christianity according to the flesh. If your flesh, if your flesh could put on a suit and, and, and tell you and show you and practice what it wants Christianity to be, that's what's mostly in our churches. But Christianity, according to the Holy Spirit of the living God, our Lord Jesus, is something else. Because if it were that, we would see people actually caring about the lost more than they cursed them. We would see people praying for lost souls more than damning them. We would see people posting more about uh, to encourage people to the cross rather than just calling out cursing and mocking. We'd see more preaching of the gospel than twisting scripture to justify cursing and violence. Think about it. What would born-again Christianity look like today if it was according to the actual gospel of the Lord God Jesus Christ? What would it look like? Point to a church and tell me which one. Show me an example of actual born-again, Christ-like, God-fearing, Bible-holding, born-again Christianity according to God's standard of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His Spirit of the fruits of the Spirit of God. Show me a church that holds to that standard. guilty we all love to think well me my church is that we're all guilty every last one of us we say oh we haven't left our first love who do you think you are to say we have left our first love really prove to me you haven't well, who do you think we have to prove to you i'm not saying i'm just saying in, in an argument sense show me how i'm wrong Show me how I'm wrong. Am I actually, before God, wrong? The first step to revival is acknowledging the error. The first step to revival is acknowledging the error so you can so you can pray against that, so you can repent of that, so you can get yourself right with the Lord so you know what you need to fix. 
so that the Spirit of God will fall. Instead of taking up arms against others, against a fellow man, against this and that, rather take up the Word of God. I challenge you to drop your weapons. In the name of Jesus Christ, I challenge you to drop your weapons. I challenge you to drop your cursings. I challenge you to drop your us versus them. I challenge you to repent before God and pray for revival instead. Now, this is an evangelist talking, I'm telling you. But one thing that I'm seeing, I'm just saying. You can curse me all you want. But when I look at the videos... Then I see what's going on, for example, at the border of Texas, for example. What I see is such an us versus them, of a threat of violence and war and all kinds of things like this. And what, what I see, I see a multitude of lost souls, and I don't see a, I don't see one, I don't even see one single bible verse i don't see one mention of jesus christ i don't see one single gospel post i don't see one single individual going to the multitudes upon multitudes to tell them the gospel i don't see one single rather what i see is armies taking up arms of violence against them cursing them speaking evil of all kinds of things against them. i don't see one single born-again christian What would Jesus do? We And rather, church after church after church after church, he talks about these issues, talks about these circumstances, talks about these happenings, and justifies violence, justifies war, justifies civil war, justifies us versus them, justifies it, validates it with Scripture. If that's not a King Saul dragging the name of God into the house of the witch of Endor, I don't know what is. That's dragging God into an us versus them. That's dragging the word of God into justification of violence toward fellow men. If that is not sacrilege, I don't know what is. Someone... Someone tell me I'm wrong. You see what happens when we abandon the faith. When we say we love God, but in works dishonor him, it looks like what the world looks like today. We call ourselves servants of the living God. We call ourselves priests and temples of the living God. We call ourselves the height of society. We call ourselves the height of technology. We call ourselves a first world nation. We call ourselves blessed of God. We sing the anthems and we sing the hymns of God loves our nation. God bless our nation. God loves us and God helps us. I'm telling you, God is nowhere. Nowhere in all of this. He has removed his hand. He has removed his blessing. And the curse of God is upon our nations instead. 
that God is cursing our nations. Our nations are turned to hell because we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the word of God. We have forgotten our calling. We've forgotten the example of Jesus Christ. We've forgotten the steps of Christ. We've abandoned the blessing of God. We are cursing our enemy. We are, we are praying against those that are opposing us. We are fighting those that persecute us. And there's no Christ-likeness to be found. This is what happens. Someone's got to say it, though. Someone needs to say it, and nobody's saying it. Someone needs to say it, and nobody's saying it. This is why we're going to war, because we want war. I dare you to tell me that that's not the case. I dare you to tell me that's not the case, that it's a love of war. We want and we crave and we long for, we dream of it, we think about it, we revel in the idea, in the idea of war. But what did God say? If his opinion matters at all, what is what did God say? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal but are mighty through God. How for revival and salvation? To the glorification of God, not the glorification of man's battering other men. Sending our sons and daughters to kill one another, wage war and spite and curse and kick and bite and everything else. This is what has happened. When we abandon our first love, violence and war and godlessness takes over. The example of Christ gets so muddied, so twisted around that Christian goes to war with Christian because my Christ isn't like your Christ. And we'll actually tear each other's throats out. Jesus said, Jesus said, if his opinion matters at all, Jesus says, you know not what spirit you are of. The Son of Man came not to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Whatever that means. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Can we say that about ourselves? Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. Whatever that means. When he suffered, he threatened not. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He served the mission of God. He served the mission of righteousness, whatever that is. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin, dead to sin, dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, whatever that is, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were a sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Have we? Nor have we wandered so far from the shepherd that the sheep are taking on wolf skin. We're so obsessed with wolves in sheep's clothing. What about sheep in wolf's clothing? You know, that's uh, that actually reminds me. There was a book before I got saved 
I had a book as I was uh, I was a pagan I followed and served the pagan Norse gods and there was a book I got it's called taking uh, taking on the wolf skin it's about uh, the Norse practice of the Vikings uh, of the the mindset of of animalism where you take on the persona kind of like uh like like uh morphing and changing into an animal that you become like an animal you you uh, you take on this the actual characteristics the personality attributes of the wolf or the bear uh it's that whole mentality of becoming animalistic and war and treatment and everything else to become that kind of creature it's interesting it's very interesting that as a pagan that's what i longed for to take on that kind of mentality of being a wolf in society to become a born-again christian to become a born-again christian and see so many professed christians doing that very pagan thing Professed Christians taking on the wolf skin instead of taking on the robes of Jesus Christ. Instead of taking up the cross of Christ, they take up arms. Instead of filling their hands with tracks and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, they fill their hands with stones. Instead of their mouths filled with the gospel of peace, of the salvation and regeneration of lost souls, their mouths are filled with cursing. To the point we're now going to World War III and so many professed Christians are just rejoicing over it and longing for it and licking their lips at the idea of violence against their fellow men. I get to tear down the people that I don't like. In instead of crying about this and begging the mercy of God to stave it off. When churches take on the wolf skin. I don't know about you, I'm abhorred. I am absolutely disgusted beyond belief. I am in utter disbelief over this. That this is how far it has gotten. This is where it's going. And, and I'm, I challenge anyone. I don't care who you are. I challenge anyone to prove me wrong. I dare you to pick up your Bible. I don't want to hear even just for a moment. I don't want to hear, I think, I feel, I believe. I don't want to hear excuses of your opinions, your ideology, any other thing. I don't care about any of that. I want you to pick up your Bible, and I want you to show me from the Bible, without contradicting the Bible, I want you to show me how I'm wrong. I want you to justify by the word of God putting on the wolf skin. Putting on the snake skin. But this is where we've gone. The temple of God has crumbled down. And there's hardly anyone left to build it back up again. 
The wall of God, of his, of his truth, is righteous. The line in the sand that he has drawn has been brushed over. To the point we can hardly find the right way. Where is the love of Jesus Christ? Where is Christ-likeness? Where is godliness? Where is the God-fearing, Christ-loving, born-again Christianity today as it was given by our Lord Jesus Christ? Where is it? I challenge you to look inwardly, to look at yourself. And if you, if this convicts you, if this, if you fall into this category, fall on your knees before God and repent yourself before the Lord. Repent and bring revival into your life and get back to where we're supposed to be. Oh, we may not cause a national change, but even if we can start revivals in our own lives, in our own homes, then at least we're fearing God. something to think about <clears throat> rebuke reprove exhort all sin is forgiven all sin is forgiven if my people which are called by my name, should humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. If, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. The mercy and the grace of God is poured out upon all those that seek his face. Repent of your ways, fall before the Lord, wash your hands in the innocency of the blood of the Lamb, that the Son of God would wash your feet and cleanse you from the us versus them. Repent of your repent of yourself before the Lord. And get yourself right in the eyes of God, according to his standard, according to his word, according to his ideologies of his holiness, of his godliness, and repent. To show that you truly love the Lord Jesus Christ of the Word of God. Not the Jesus of your denomination. Not the Jesus of, of your religious ideologies. Not the Jesus of the nations. Not the Jesus of societal standards. Not the Jesus of fill in the blank. The Jesus, the Lord God, Jesus Christ of the Word of the living God. Who desires that all men be saved who calls all to the cross, who loves all and will turn away none. Do we, do we represent that Jesus? Do you? Do I? Rebuke, reprove, exhort. Let the word of God rebuke you. Let the word of God rebuke you. If I'm wrong, show me how I'm wrong by the word of God. But if I'm right, but if, 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 be a Berean, be a Berean, am I right? If I'm wrong, correct me, show me. If I'm wrong and you can show me by the word of God how I'm wrong, I repent. 
I'll recant everything and I'll, I'll get myself right if I'm wrong. But if I'm right, take your Bible. Look at this. Everything that I've shown here. Do we represent Jesus Christ according to Scripture? Do we? Something to think about. But like I said, a woe, a woe of God is upon us. A woe of God is upon the churches and upon our nations. You know, it was back in it was back years and years and years and years ago. I forget I forget the date. I even forget exactly who said it. The one preacher says, if Jesus Christ doesn't come soon, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And that was decades and decades. That was a long time ago. That was a long, long time ago that he said that. Whoever it was. I, I think it was Spurgeon. I forget. If, God, if Christ doesn't return soon, you have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot, as Lot, who vexed his righteous soul because of their sins continually. Vexation causes a heaviness. Vexation causes depression. Vexation can even wear you down and cause compromise. But what should we do? We need to flee it. Flee to the mountain, to the rock that is higher than I. Hide ourselves in the cleft of the rock, our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to get back to what our mission is supposed to be. To flee to him, to hide ourselves in him. To come apart and be, be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. Be holy as I am holy, to be perfect as he is perfect. We're supposed to be ministers of righteousness. Are we? What does it mean to be a true, God-fearing, Christ-loving, gospel-carrying, born-again Christian? What does that look like today? Give it some thought. Repent before the Lord. Get yourself right with the Lord. Ask Him to examine you. Lord, is there anything in my life that as it goes against you or your word? Am I guilty? Lord, are my hands clean? Show me. Forgive me. I'm sorry. Be willing to be rebuked. Be willing to be reproved. Be willing to be exhorted by the word of God. If the word of God contradicts you, then you're wrong. Get yourself right with the word of God, the ways of the Lord. And possibly, we may start to make a difference for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the cross of Christ. Give us some thought. First Peter chapter 2. So, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? To our knees. So, let us pray. Let us meditate upon this. Take this to heart. 
follow the example, the steps that Christ has given us. It's that simple, yet that difficult. Because the flesh doesn't want to. The flesh will fight you. You will be ridiculed, scoffed, mocked, and cursed by every every other person who doesn't, doesn't believe this, doesn't accept this. It doesn't matter if the entire world was against you and you were the only one, like Lot, only Lot and his family in all of Sodom and Gomorrah, as Noah and his family were the only ones in all the world. You're still right, they're wrong. Because you're holding to the gospel, to the truth of God. And they need to be saved. So what can you do to open their eyes? Give that some thought. So let us pray against this us versus them. Let us pray against this cold-heartedness. Let us pray against this carnality. And let us promote the spirit of the living God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So with that, wrap it up there. Give that some thought. So I hope this has been a help and a blessing. I hope this has been an encouragement. I hope this has been uh, eye-opening. I hope this has been like a spiritual glass of water to the face. Remember who you are. Remember who you represent. Do not grieve him. Do not shame him. Do not dishonor him. What does it say? Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the King, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But I'll, I'll end it. I'll end it with a question that was asked Jesus. Someone asked Jesus, Master, but who is my neighbor? To love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. But who is my neighbor? What does it mean to love them in the name of Jesus Christ? I'll end it there. So with that, wrap it up there. Thank you so much for joining in. God bless you folks. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.